The uh, scripture reading for this morning is uh, Luke chapter 14, uh, starting in verse 12. Uh, You can find it in your pew Bible in front of you on page 874. That's Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 12. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word, shall we? Luke 14, chapter 12. He, Jesus, said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Because they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. And the first said to him, "Uh, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. And he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled, the blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and there still is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. You may be seated and reflect for a minute on God's word. So this summer, uh, we've been in the parables, uh, reading some of these, uh, these stories of Jesus. Uh, one, one commentator calls them stories with intent. So there's the, there are these uh, heavily metaphorical, heavily symbolic, intense stories of uh, Jesus that talk about the kingdom of God and the king of the kingdom, uh, Jesus Christ. And this parable uh, especially is, is kind of interesting because... Uh, Jesus often told similar parables in different settings. So it's like he had a couple stock stories that he reused, like, like you might reuse a, a good joke that you heard in a variety of different contexts. You know, but you might switch a detail here and a detail there. And this parable, Jesus told slightly uh, different versions of it to different audiences, and it's recorded in three of the Gospels. Uh, but this week, 
I found uh, one of my favorite retellings of this parable, and it wasn't in any of the Gospels. It was actually uh, in the Boston Globe in June 1990. And uh, this retelling of it it, it actually really happened, and it uh, is recorded in this book called What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. Maybe some of you all read it. This This is the retelling of the parable from the Boston Globe. It says, accompanied by her fiancé, a woman went to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston and ordered the meal. The two of them poured over the menu, made selections of china and silver, and they pointed to pictures of flower arrangements they liked. They both had expensive taste, and the bill came to $13,000. After leaving a check for half that amount as a down payment, the couple went home to flip through books of wedding announcements. And the day the announcements were supposed to hit the mailbox, the potential groom got cold feet. I'm just not sure, he said. It's it's a big commitment. Let's think about this a little longer. And when his angry fiancé returned to the Hyatt to cancel the banquet, the events manager could not have been more understanding. The same thing happened to me, honey, she said. And she told the story of her own broken engagement. But about the refund, she had bad news. The contract is binding. I'm sorry. You're you're only entitled to $1,300 back. You have two options. You forfeit the rest of the down payment or you have to go ahead with the banquet. I'm sorry. I really am. And it seemed crazy. But the more the jilted bride thought about it, the more she liked the idea of going ahead with the party. Not a wedding banquet, mind you, but a big blowout. Ten years before, this same woman had been living in a homeless shelter. She had got back on her feet, found a good job, and set aside a sizable nest egg. Now she had the wild notion of using her savings to treat the down and outs of Boston to a night on the town. And so it was that in June of 1990, the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston hosted a party as such had never been seen before. The hostess changed the menu to boneless chicken in honor of the groom. And she sent invitations to rescue missions and homeless shelters. On that warm summer night, people who were used to peeling half-gnawed pizza off cardboard dined instead on chicken cordon bleu. Hyatt waiters in tuxedos served hors d'oeuvres to senior citizens propped up by crutches and aluminum walkers. Bag ladies, vagrants, and addicts took one night off from the hard life on the sidewalks and instead sipped champagne ate chocolate wedding cake, and danced to big band melodies late into the night. Now, our passage this morning, like the story I just read, describes a great feast. It describes an incredible banquet with a fabulously generous host and some unlikely guests on the list. Uh, Just to give you the context, we, we read some of it starting in verse 12. But really, the whole chapter of Luke 14 tells the story of Jesus getting invited to a dinner party at a Pharisee's house. But the Pharisees didn't really have good intentions for inviting Jesus to to eat with them. You might think, oh, that's so nice. They invited him over for dinner. But they really invited him over to trap him and to trick him. So as as soon as Jesus sits down to enjoy this Pharisee's hospitality, the religious leaders bring out a person uh, who has edema, who's swelling uh, in, in their bones. And they say, hey, it's the Sabbath. Do you think you can heal this person? Is that, is that legal or not? And Jesus is like, how dare you try to trick me? Immediately he heals the person. And then he rebukes them for saying, 
you know, if, you're, if your son or daughter or even a, a piece of cattle that you had fell into, fell into a ditch on the Sabbath, wouldn't you pull it out? I'm going to heal this person. And then as everyone's sitting down at the table, everyone's kind of jockeying for position, all these really important religious leaders. And Jesus looks around and says, hey, by the way, when you go to a party, there might be someone more important than you that's there that you don't know about. So you shouldn't take the best seat. You should take the worst seat. And then you'll get honored when the guest invites you to sit in the the better place. And then, (laughs) if that wasn't enough, then Jesus starts, he looks at the guest or the host And he sees that the host has invited all of his friends, all the people that he likes best, all the people that kind of prop up his ego and give him more status in society by inviting to this dinner. And Jesus looks at him and looks at the host. And this is what we have in verse 12. He says, hey, by the way, next time you you throw a party, don't just invite your friends. Don't just invite the people that everyone loves, that that can pay you back. Invite the people who need mercy. Invite the people who need your hospitality. Invite the people who can't pay you back. And then maybe God will reward you. And that last criticism from Jesus at this dinner party prompts a really odd comment from one of the guests. And I think the the reason that this guy uh, just blurts out this statement in verse 15 is is just really awkward, (laughs) as you can imagine, at this dinner party. I mean, if you invite Jesus to dinner with you and then he just... (laughs) basically lays you bare the whole meal and calls you out on all these different secret motivations of your heart, it was getting a little awkward at the dinner table. So just to break up the silence, you know, you're probably just hearing the clicking of silverware, people looking down to their food. A guy blurts out in verse 15, blessed is the man who's going to get to eat bread in the kingdom, right? I mean, that'll be great. That'll be a great dinner in, in the kingdom of heaven, guys, right? And... It's, it's just so funny. I don't know exactly what the guy's motivation for saying this was, but Jesus doesn't let that slip by either. And he immediately jumps on this guy and tells him a parable. And that's where we are. That's what we're talking about this morning. Basically, Jesus says, hey, funny, you should mention that great feast in the kingdom of God. Funny, you should, you should mention that dinner party that God's going to throw at the end of time. Uh, do you know what the feast in the kingdom of God will be like? Do you know what kind of people are going to be there? Do you know who the host is? And so he begins to tell them this parable. And he tells you, he tells them and he tells us this parable to show us what the feast in the kingdom of God at the end of time is going to be like. And there's a couple surprises for the Pharisees and I think a couple elements of this great, great feast that are going to surprise us as well. The first surprise that we find is the likely guests have opted out. The second surprise is that the most unlikely guests are streaming in to the party. And the third surprise, especially for these guys, is that the king himself has come to make the invitation. So so let's look at this passage. First, uh, starting in verse 16, we see that the likely guests have declined the invitation. So starting in verse 16, uh, you should know just for a second that uh, the custom with banquets in the time uh, around uh, of of Jesus telling this story is kind of like with a wedding feast. Now, there'd be two stages of invitations. So you'd send out an invitation first. that was kind of like a save the date. 
Uh, and so that would just be to kind of say, hey, I'm throwing this party. It's going to be great. I want to get a head count. I want to make sure I have enough of, of everything. Some of y'all are planning weddings right now, and you know what I'm talking about. And you're going, I don't know if we can handle all these people. So you're really worried about who's going to show up. And so that's what the first invitation was about. What this parable describes is actually the second phase of the invitations. It's after everything's been prepared, the master would send out the servant to go and basically say, hey, the banquet's ready. We got all the food. You know, it took, maybe took a little longer than we expected, but hey, it's all ready. So they'd walk around the city and basically say, come, come, come on in. The, the banquet's prepared. Come, come and join us. Come and feast with us. And so what you should realize is that all the people that the servant is speaking to, they, they've already said they're coming. They've already RSVP'd. Their, their place, uh, they're, they're expected at the party. But every one of them, what do they do? It says, each one alike began to make excuses. So let, let's look at the excuses here. Um, they all asked to be excused from the party, and I think this is the first surprise. Because all of these people's excuses, we could just pretty much all group them together and say that they're all lame. They're, they're all just bad excuses. And if you look at it, you might be tempted to say, well, these are three different types of people. But I think what the parable is actually saying is that they're all just one type of person. Um, they look, they're, they're all seem to be kind of wealthy. Uh, they all seem to be kind of blessed in this world. Uh, they all seem to be uh, fairly self-involved. And the, the other common element in all of them is that they're being incredibly rude <laughs> and disrespectful to the host. Because every one of these, uh, these excuses is really not much of an excuse at all. I mean, if you had heard this story in Jesus' time, what would have uh, stood out to you is that nobody buys a field without looking at it first. I mean, nobody buys oxen without seeing what they look like or testing them out first. And the, the marriage excuse is even worse. <laughs> Notice he doesn't even say, please excuse me. He just said, oh, by the way, I'm married. That's the trump card. I can't come. But, you know, in Deuteronomy, uh, it says that, you, you know, you can be excused from military service if you're married. But that doesn't excuse you from social engagements. Because in this culture, this was an honor shame culture. I mean, this is a culture where we're saving face in society was the, the, the most important thing. So social engagements were huge. Social obligations had to be kept up. And so for anyone to uh, try to excuse themselves in this way would, would have been totally unthinkable. So if you're listening to this parable and you're the Pharisees, all three of these people, you're going, God, I can't believe he said that. That's the excuse he gave. He, he said that he's married and that's why he can't come. And so as you're listening to the parable, you should be going, the gall of these people. How would they treat the master this way? I mean, what, this, is, this is a ridiculous story. So it's, it's supposed to be surprising. And I think oftentimes what Jesus does in his parables is it's the surprising elements, those startling elements, those kind of exaggerated, almost unrealistic elements. Those are the ones that you have to pay attention to because those are the ones that are supposed to hook you and draw you in. And you see what he's doing with the Pharisees? He's saying, that's exactly what you've been doing to God. You've been just making excuses. You've been putting him off. 
You've been talking this big show about how excited you are to eat and drink in the kingdom of God. But you've been totally ignoring him in your hearts. And I think for us, uh, I don't think we have any Pharisees in the room right now, as far as I can tell. But for all of us who, like them, maybe consider ourselves religious people, devout people, serious Christians, uh, we need to take this, this half of the parable to heart. That in the kingdom of God, uh, some of the most likely candidates, when the time comes, they're going to put off the king. And I think there's this temptation for us, just like the characters in this parable, to get so wrapped up in our own affairs, to get so wrapped up in the business of our daily life, that when the invitation comes, and when the king is calling, we don't even hear his voice. I mean, I, I think we do this all the time. All, we get so busy. I mean, if I asked every one of you in, in this room, I'd say, how are you doing? Are you busy? Would you say you have enough on your plate? All of you would probably say, I'm, I'm way too busy. Our plates just fill up with all kinds of stuff. And so, especially for college students that are getting here, uh, as you're looking at your schedule, you've got your classes laid out, you're, you're planning, okay, well, I've got 15 minutes to get lunch here. Okay, maybe I've got some time to study in between classes here. I mean, I know, your schedules get packed. But the question I need to ask you all is, do you have room in there for the Lord? Do you have room in there to spend time with Jesus? And for those of us who are adults, I mean, our schedules are slam-packed. I mean, we're packed to the gills with activities. And, and it's not all bad stuff. A lot of it's great things, events with your kids, uh, commitments, volunteer commitments, commi- commitments at the church, commitments at work. But maybe I'll just challenge you with this. Is there, could there just be one thing that you'll say no to this next week so you can make room for Jesus? So you can just say yes to him. Just, just one thing that you'll say no to. One thing that you'll, you'll knock off the list. Say no to something else so you can say yes to the Lord this week. Just to, to read with him, to, 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 to pray to him, uh, to enjoy his company. So we've seen in this first group that um, they're all opting out of the party. And the odds are that the Pharisees at this point in the story, they're wondering, okay, what's the host going to do? What's the master going to do? Because, I mean, this is audacious how these people are just rejecting his hospitality. And, of course, we see in verse 21, the master is angry at the excuses of these people. Uh, But the master knows exactly what to do. He's not deterred for a moment. He's determined that his banquet is going to be full, so he has a plan. And what, what Jesus has the wealthy master decide to do is completely beyond anything that these Pharisees would have imagined. What he does is completely audacious. And we see Jesus giving this picture of the gracious hospitality of God. The true master of the banquet just flowing out and down to the very dregs of society. So we've seen that the the proud and the powerful, the likely candidates are opting out of the party. And now as we look at the guest list, we're seeing who's RSVP'd. All these names are popping up. And it's the most unlikely people you would have imagined. And start in verse 21 here. This is what he says. The master of the house says to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes. Bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. So that's the first group 
that gets brought in. The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And that formation of people is really just something that Jesus uses. You can see it again. He uses the exact same words earlier uh, in 12 through 14, where he says, hey, that's who you should invite. Not the rich and powerful, but the the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, the, the, the poor and the powerless, the ones who can't help themselves. And so he's saying, that's who it's going out to first. And if you, what you would have noticed if you were a Pharisee listening to that, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, they're all people who either don't have the resources or don't have the ability uh, to keep up religious devotion. To, to make the proper sacrifices, to make it to all the feasts. And so these are people who the upper class uh, religious leaders in the Jewish community considered religiously unclean. These are the people that were kind of unfit, that were a lower religious class. And Jesus says, okay, that's, that's, that's who's coming in now. That's who I'm going to bring in. All these unlikely people. And the people who can't help themselves, the people who need grace. And wouldn't you know it, those are exactly the types of people that Jesus spent the most time with during his ministry on earth. And Jesus is telling this parable, and if the Pharisees haven't realized it yet, he's giving them a picture of what his ministry on earth is looking like. He spent time with tax collectors, sinners, Sabbath breakers, uh, just people that were not uh, the religiously fit, shall we say. But as Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. And he said it himself, I have not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners to repentance. And we've talked about this before. Remember uh, when John the Baptist was thrown in jail and he goes to call to Jesus. He, He sends some messengers to Jesus and he says, hey, I thought you were supposed to be the promised king. I thought you were going to be the one that was going to bring the kingdom of God. Can you just remind me, is that, is that really what you're doing right now? Are we living in the time where the kingdom's breaking in or not? And Jesus sends messengers to John the Baptist and he says, well, just look at what's happening. This is what he says. The blind are receiving their sight. The lame are walking. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. So Jesus characterized his whole ministry. He said, the way you can tell that the kingdom is breaking in the world is that who's, who's it's going out? Who is it going out to? The poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. That's who's receiving it. And that's how you know it's really coming in power. So that's the first group at the party that's accepting the invitation. But there's a second group too. And if you'll notice, look, the first group comes in and the servant says to the master, hey, we still got room. There's still room at the table. And he says, Great. I want you to do something. Go out. Go outside of the city. Go out to the highways and hedges. Go out to the countryside. Now, in, in Jesus' time, uh, you know, all the upper class people and all the most devout religious people, they lived in the cities. The people who lived outside were literally the pagans. That's what that word means. The pagan means like a country person. So the people, the, the Gentiles, the different people... The outsiders, they lived out in the countryside. And the master's saying, yeah, now that you've gotten all the religiously unfit Jewish people, go out and call all kinds of people and, and, and compel them to come in. You're going to need to compel them because they're not going to be able to believe it on their own that they're really invited. So you're going to need to convince them. 
You're going to need to plead with them. And what the Pharisees would have been thinking at this point, they're saying, wait a minute. You mean he's going to go out to the countryside? Doesn't he know that Gentiles are out there? Doesn't he know that he invites everyone? He's going to get some people that are non-Jewish. He's going to get some people that, that worship pagan gods. You're going to invite those people in too? They would have been scandalized. And so that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, uh, listen, this master is determined to fill his house. And all who would accept the invitation are welcome at the master's table. And this is shocking. This is a shocking message to the religious elite of Jesus' time. That this master willfully accepts people who don't have it all together. Whose theology isn't completely airtight. Who all they know is, hey, there's a party and, and, and I'm invited and I think I want to come. Those are the people that are streaming in to the party. But wouldn't you know it, if the Pharisees had paid attention to their Bibles, they would have known that this was the plan of God all along. Um, that this is what it says in Isaiah 25, 6. This is a prophecy about the great banquet at the end of time. This, this is what, what the Lord says through the prophet Isaiah. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples. And the veil that is spread over all nations. Do you hear what it's, it's just hinted at in the Old Testament? And then it comes just into full flower in the ministry of Jesus. That God's plan was to start with Israel and then to move out to the corners of the earth. That's what Jesus says to his disciples in Acts. He says, go and be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, so starting in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. Samaria? There's Samaritans there. Yes, go out to Samaria and then go to the ends of the earth. That's the plan of God, to bless men from every tribe, tongue, and nation, all kinds of sinners, all kinds of people eating at the Lord's table. This is what he says uh, through the prophet Hosea. He says, those who were not my people, I'm going to call my people. And those who were not my beloved, I'm going to call them my beloved. That's us. I, I don't know if you're familiar with your family history, but as I look out, I don't think anyone here is ethnically Jewish or from Palestine. If, if I'm looking out into the room right now, I might be missing someone. So all of us are recipients of this message, this great promise of God, where we weren't his people. And God said, I want them to be my people. This illustration, I mean, this story is so crazy that this master would invite people who don't even know him, who don't even live in the same town as him. Uh, this would be like, uh, remember when the royal, the royal wedding happened a couple years ago? There was this big to-do. I mean, that was the thing that I could think of that was like the big party. It was the, the royal wedding. This would be like you're sitting at home watching the CNN coverage, getting ready as they're preparing for the royal wedding, and then the mailman comes. And he says, uh, here's this letter. And, of course, it's like thick and heavy. It's like this thick cardboard, and you open it up, and doves fly out of it probably. I mean, it's an elaborate invitation 
and you open it up and it says, hey, the royal family has invited you to enjoy the wedding of, of Kate and William. Please come. And it says, by, by the way, we know that you weren't expecting to come. It's okay. Everything's been provided for. Uh, by the way, we know you might not have anything to wear. We're going to give you something to wear. Just come. Just come. We, we want you to be there. We want you to, to, to share a meal with us. We want you to celebrate with us. You're invited. That's the feeling that, uh, of, the, of this story. As the message goes out to the most unlikely guests. And so I think for us, we, we have to be thinking, you know what? Who are the most unlikely people that you and I know? That we think there's no chance that we'll see them in heaven. Those are the people we need to go after. Those are the people that we need to invite. I think what this parable is telling us is that when we sit down in the kingdom of heaven with our Lord, we're going to look to our left and our right and we're going to be surprised at the people that are there. And so I think these words of the master should be ringing in our ears. There's still more room. There's still more room at the table. I mean, look, there's still more room in the seats here. There's still more room in the kingdom of God. So, so go out. And, and it, this is helpful. This is kind of demystifies evangelism, doesn't it? It's, it's just inviting people in. Hey, come accept the invitation. Come expect, accept God's hospitality. Come sit. Enjoy fellowship with us. Come, come belong. Uh, we, we want you to belong with us. So I think the people in this room, uh, not this room, uh, but, but at the dinner party with the Pharisee, are, are baffled. I think they're probably staggered at the generosity of this host. I imagine if there's some, some maybe some, some lower-class Jewish people or some, some non-Jews that are there uh, eating, maybe they're kind of leaning in around the doorway. They're going, is this, could this story possibly be true? Is there anyone as generous as this master? I mean, is this, this sounds too good to be true. But there's one final surprise for the Pharisees, and uh, it might not be a surprise to you, uh, seeing as where we are in history, but I think uh, for them this is going to be a, a, a big reveal at the end. We've already seen the powerful have opted out, the powerless are the ones that are all on the list, and if you look at the guest list, if you look at the invitation right at the top, the name of the person that's throwing the party, the person that's inviting, it's Jesus Christ. It's the king himself, and that's the third surprise. The king himself has come to earth to invite his guests to the great feast. And you see this in, in verse 24, because at the very end of the parable, Jesus does something strange. And if you're just reading through this, you, you, you might not get it. And look, in 23, he says, The master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges, compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Then there's a period. And he says, for I tell you. And then if you've got the ESV Bible, there's a little number right by the word you. And if you look down in the margins, it says that word you is plural. So you go, well, why? Why is it plural? Because the master in the story is talking to a single person. He's talking to the servant. So then why is when Jesus is telling the story, why does he say, I tell y'all, I tell all of you. And I think the reason is, is 
I would bet, I mean, don't bet everything on this, but this is what I think, is that at the end of uh, verse 23, that's where the parable ends. And then Jesus looks up after telling the story, and he looks around to everyone in the room. And he says, for I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my banquet. And he's saying, hey, guys, look who's sitting with you. It's my banquet. I'm the one who's throwing the party. And I think he's, he's connecting it back to verse 15. Remember when the Pharisee says, oh, blessed, oh, it's going to be such a blessed banquet. Oh, it's going to be great. He's just kind of throwing out this cliche. Uh, oh, it's going to be great to eat in the kingdom of God. He said, yeah, I'm the one throwing the party. It's my banquet. Everything I told you is happening right now. And in fact, the invitations have gone out. I've already got the responses back. And now the king himself has come. I'm here. And I'm inviting you. And, and, and you guys are totally ignoring me. That's what he's saying to the Pharisees. He's saying, I've come here as, as the servant of the master. I've come to invite you, to compel you to come. And, and look what you've done, Pharisees. You, all, you, you brought me here to this meal to trick me. You, you brought in one of, one of my image bearers, one of my beloved children, and used him as a, as a prop to try to trap me. How dare you? How dare you abuse my hospitality? How, how dare you? How dare you talk about how blessed it's going to be to eat with God in the kingdom when you don't even recognize that the king is sitting with you right now? I mean, this is a sharp rebuke, is it not? And I think for us, I mean, it, it's just a beautiful reminder that Jesus is saying, my very presence here." My very presence on earth means that the great feast has already been prepared. I mean, that was the, that was the big mistake of the Pharisee. He's thinking, oh, on that day, way in the future, when we get to eat at the feast, that's going to be great. And Jesus is saying, hey, the future's here. It's come. The invitations have gone out. You guys have declined. And now guess what's happening? I'm inviting all the craziest people to come and be forgiven and have fellowship with God. Jesus is saying, my banquet table is going to be full. I'm determined it's going to be full. I have sheep that aren't of this sheepfold, and I'm going to go out and I will call them, and I must call them, and they will come to me. My sheep know my voice. When I call them, they will come in. So what kind of party is it going to be in heaven? It's going to be a banquet of grace. And who's going to be sitting at the very head of the table? It's going to be Jesus Christ himself. So this parable was already being fulfilled at the time of its telling. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. He's the one that the insiders scorned. And then he went to the outsiders like you and me. If you want to read more about this, just read Romans 9 through 11. It's the whole story of God moving, saying, I'm starting with Israel. They've rejected me. Okay, there's a remnant that I'm going to save, and then I'm going to graft in all these wild branches from all the four corners of the earth, and they're going to be brought in, and we're all going to be one flock under one shepherd. And so these religious leaders, just like here today, are, us here today are living in a time when the invitations have gone out, 
and the banquet hall is filling, but it is not done being filled up yet. And so if we would have ears to hear the message of this parable, I think we ought to be going out of this place and beating the bushes and inviting people to come in. Because we know that it's not full yet. There's still more room. And there's this sense of urgency. He says, quickly, quickly, go, compel people. And I think if we really uh, got this in our bones, that this is his banquet, that he's the one who makes the invitation, that he's the one uh, who, who brings people in, uh, that, that we'd have a fire in our bellies to want to tell people and invite people to come and, and eat with us and drink with us in the kingdom of God. Let, let me close uh, with the words of a much better preacher than myself. Uh, I've talked about this guy before. George Whitfield was a, a preacher uh, in the late 1700s, and, and he was one of the men responsible for like the greatest religious movement in our country's history called the Great Awakening, really in England and, and here, along with um, the Wesleys. And uh, they kicked him out of the churches because he would go to preach in the churches, and so many people would come. The regular ministers got jealous, and so they said, uh, you, you can't come here because people are, like, looking in through the windows. It's, it's scandalous. It's not, uh, you have to observe the rules of propriety. So, you, you know, we're British. So they, they sent him out. And he read uh, this, this passage, and he said, that's fine. I'll go out to the countryside. I'll go to the highways and the hedges. And there's this story of him going out to these coal miners who lived in a town that most respectable British people wouldn't even go to. And he's, he's preaching to like 10,000 of them. One observer was writing about it. He said that, that you could tell that they were listening to his words because all the coal miners' faces that were still black with soot from the coal mines, you started to see these white stripes falling down their face when they hear this man preaching about the grace of God to them. Their tears are wiping the dirt off their faces. And so this man, uh, George Whitfield, this is what he said when he was preaching on this passage. He said, after reading this, I'm not ashamed to come out this day into the highways and hedges and to confess that my business is to call the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. Listen to this, the self-condemned, the helpless sinners here to the marriage feast of the supper of the Lamb. My cry is, come, believe on the Lord Jesus. Throw yourself at the footstool of his mercy and you shall be saved. For all things are now ready. God the Father is ready. God the Son is ready. God the Holy Ghost is ready. The blessed angels above are ready. And the blessed saints below are ready to welcome you to the gospel feast. A perfect and everlasting righteousness has been worked out for you by Jesus. God upon honorable terms, can now forgive the guilty. God can be just and also justify the ungodly because he made Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin so that you could be made the righteousness of God. He says, come sinners and feed upon him in your hearts by, thank, by faith with thanksgiving. For Jesus Christ's sake, do not with one consent begin to make excuse. Do not let a piece of ground, the yoke of oxen, or even a wife keep you from this great supper. These you may enjoy as the gifts of God, and you can make use of them for the mediator's glory. And you can still be present at the gospel feast. He, he looks out to this group of people and he says, If only you would all with one voice say, Lo, we come. 
you can be sure of it. At the Lord's table, there's enough provision for you. It's a great supper. In our Father's house, there is bread enough to spare. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that at your table, there's more room. That there's bread enough to spare. Lord, we thank you that you call um, sinners like us to come and find forgiveness through the perfect life and the perfect death of Jesus Christ. We're grateful that you brought in strangers like us, people who are outside of all your promises to Israel, um, that you've made us part of your special people. Lord, I pray for these people here gathered today that uh, they would know the blessing of sitting with you and enjoying your hospitality. Lord, that um, they wouldn't delay, that they wouldn't be put off, that they wouldn't be distracted by the things of this world, um, but they'd come to you and that they'd uh, bid others come as well. Father, we thank you for all the gifts that you give, and now we return our gifts and our offerings to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.